Vincent Werbeck's Derby. Okay. <laughs> Everyone loves a wedding. They fill your hearts with joy and gladness. Unless you're the father of the bride and then they empty your bank account. Unless you're a grumpy old vicar like I used to be who got invited to conduct weddings and then now and again uh, they would invite me to the reception. And I'm not a social animal and I knew there would be hours of small talk and I used to have to go thinking that tomorrow morning the sermon was not quite ready and uh, what a way to spend a Saturday. So I was a grumpy old man. But on the whole, uh, everyone loves a wedding. And I, I was irritated because it took up the whole day. But if it was an Eastern wedding about, that we're going to hear about it, it, for a moment this morning, it wouldn't be a day, it would be the whole week at least. And the whole village would gather. Bring village from down south, uh, Nazareth, where Jesus was born, and he and his mother came to the wedding. So it was a full-on thing going on for days with crowds of people. Nightmare. Let's read the story together. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had now been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed himself, revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So, it's a lovely story, a very simple story, of a wedding that nearly went wrong. Everyone wants their wedding to be absolutely perfect. Brides will say, uh, in preparation, I hope nothing goes wrong, it's going to be a perfect day. And here in Canaan, it went radically wrong because wine was right at the heart of the thing. And for goodness sake, there were six water jars containing 25 gallons each. So this is some, some, some wedding. And in the Eastern culture, the offering of hospitality and particularly of drink, of wine and water, which is the only thing they would drink. Uh, and if that ran out, it was a social uh, and a cultural disaster. And so Jesus, uh, Mary goes to her son and says, Jesus... Uh, they've run out of wine, can you do something? And then this rather strange reply, uh, mother or woman, that's not our concern. Now is not the right moment. 
And so she turns then to the servant. She said, I don't know what's going on, but listen, he will do something in a minute. And whatever he tells you to do, do it. And then Jesus says eventually to the servants, fill the water jars. And it's poured out like wine. And everything is restored. So simple. And yet because it's John writing this, nothing is simple with John. There are layers of meaning. And at the, verse 11, oh, it's gone. Verse 11, uh, it, it says um, that this was the first sign that Jesus did in his ministry. And he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So what is this story about? What is the revelation? The story is about the transformation and renewal of life which comes when Jesus is in control. When Jesus is there, everything changes and water is turned into wine, sadness is turned into joy, despair is turned into success and God's glory is revealed in the presence of Jesus. Today is Epiphany Sunday, an Anglican church, so you know that, Epiphany Sunday. The wise men coming and the appearing of the Christ child. At the heart of this transformation stand the water jars. Now, the water jars, John tells us, represent the Jewish religion. They were there for purification. They were mad about cleaning themselves. And throughout the, uh, throughout the, the wedding, these, these, this water would be available and people would keep washing themselves. It was, it was a religion of order, of, of, of regulation, of things to do in the correct way. And the water jars represent that Jewish system which has now become empty and defunct because Jesus has come to renew life in the presence of God, which is not about regulation, but is about life sparkling like wine. So the water jars are empty. And in John's uh, way of expressing things, that is to say that the Jewish religion is spent and Jesus has come to renew it. Now, that's what the story is about. Very, very simple, but also actually quite profound. And uh, all I want to do with you just for a few moments this morning is to, to think about the emptiness that there is around and how it can be filled with the wine of the gospel. And I want you and I want myself to think and to long and to pray and to witness and to embody the sparkling wine of Jesus' presence in our lives that things may be transformed. Wouldn't that be a great thing to want to do in 2019, to sparkle like wine? You all look fairly sparkly to me so far, but we're early in the sermon, so who knows? Um, but but, but that, that is a, a tremendous opportunity, a tremendous aspiration for 2019. Think, first of all, on the big scale of our world. And our world is like a, a broken jar, not a broken jar, an empty jar in many ways. Uh, so technically proficient, so brilliant in many ways, and yet so morally bankrupt and empty. You think on a big stage, stage of... Uh, the United States um, experiencing shutdown. You think of China uh, exercising crackdown. You think of Russia 
and its continuing breakdown of its relationships with the West. The world is fragile and in a bit of a mess. Or you come closer and you think of our own country and you think of the trauma of Brexit. One of the great things about this Christmas is that we've lost, we've forgotten Brexit for five or six days, but now it's coming back again. Or you think of the random acts of violence in our society. You think of a man brutally stabbed before his son on a train between Guildford and Waterloo. I've travelled on that line many, many times through those country stations. And you think, what is going on? Our world, in many ways so brilliant, is also so bankrupt. I have five Fs for our culture. It is a culture of fear, of frivolity, of fragmentation, of frenzy, and of futility. I'm going to speak for five minutes on each. Uh, but those, Fs, those five Fs for me encapsulate something about our culture. But right at the heart of all that, it is a culture that has lost its way. One modern, one modern commentator puts it like this uh, about our culture. There is no lighthouse keeper. There is no lighthouse. There is no dry land. There are only people clinging to rafts of their own imagination, and there is the sea. So to change the image from empty jars to one of, uh, of openness on an open sea, not knowing where we're going, this is part of our culture. And the desperate thing for our culture is that it should be filled again with the purposes of God. The confusion and the sadness and the brokenness of our world might be transformed by the presence of Christ. Now, that is an aspiration for you for 2019, to pray that that may become increasingly a reality. And then you think uh, of the church. Oh, my goodness me. What are we to say about the church? Well, the church is a mixed bag. In many places, it is vibrant. St. Werbs is a vibrant community. We've been here for three months, and we love it most of the time. Um, there are things that which uh, challenge us out of our comfort zones. But it is vibrant. It is a life. It is wonderful. And there are many places across the country like it. But I want to tell you that there are more places which are not like it. Where there is sadness and gloom and deadness and complacency and confusion. I remember taking a wedding, uh, uh, conducting a wedding many years ago up in the northeast in, in a market town for one of our God uh, children. And at the beginning of the service, the, the vicar, who was old and ancient but, but rather nice, said to me, I want to give out three notices. I want to say three things before you begin the service. I said, yeah, that's fine. So he, he stood before the congregation and he said, first of all, I want you to know that if you want the lavatory, we haven't got one. Uh, but if you go across through the churchyard and across the road, there's a public convenience there. Secondly, will you refrain from throwing confetti in the churchyard because it blows back into the church and it takes a long time to clear for divine worship on Sunday. Chest, as you leave the church for your donations, let us pray. <laughs> and in the space of two or three minutes, he confirmed the worst suspicions of everyone entering the church. That its facilities are naff, that it doesn't want you to enjoy yourself, but it would like your money. <laughs> I go around churches in England, I have done since I retired, and I find that, that some vicars are just consumed with the ABC of church life, attendance, buildings, and cash. And they never got as far as discipleship. I was talking 
uh, to Ray earlier about the, the, the centrality of discipleship in the life of the church. If we get onto discipleship, the ABC will sort itself out. But they don't get further than that. So the church is a mixed bag. There's St. Werbergs and many like it. But there are many, many more where things are not, things are not easy. And we need to pray for the life of the church. Soren Kierkegaard, who was a gloomy old Danish uh, philosopher and theologian, once said this. He said, Jesus wrought an amazing miracle at Canaan. He turned water into wine. He said, the church has performed an even greater miracle. It has taken the wine of the gospel and turned it into water. May God have mercy on our institutional souls. So will you pray with me and will you work and will you witness to the vibrant gospel of Christ that the empty jars of institutional religion in our country may be filled with wine? But then really I want to bring this uh, to a head and a conclusion on, on a personal level. The water jars of our community are empty. The water jars of the church sometimes are empty. What's the state of your water jar, your life this morning? I can't answer that for you. You look all right to me. But I imagine there are some of you here and you're not as full as you would like to be. And you certainly don't feel that you're sparkling like wine. And you're doing your best and you're attending and you're reading your Bible. But the whole thing has gone rather tepid like water. And if the word to describe our, our community, our society, would be confusion, and if the word to describe the church would be complacency, I wonder whether the, the, the word to um, describe our lives, um, it's an odd word, is crowdedness, by which I mean that we are people under stress very often. I've been reading a series of articles in the, in the um, newspaper this week by... Uh, a Dr. Chatterjee, wonderful name, and he's talking about stress being at the heart of many of our problems uh, in our world today. And he says this, and this may resonate with you. Um, well, it won't if I can't find it. Oh, here it is. And uh, he says this. We all know that nourishing our bodies will, with the right food is important, but we don't know in the same way about nourishing our minds. We need to give our mental health the same daily care we give our physical health. Just as bodies need fuel, minds need stillness. Yet the thought of relaxing our minds is often seen as laziness. So he's talking about the stress which we seek to address. We, he talks about physical stress and he talks about mentally relieving stress. I want to add to that our spirits. Our spirits also need to rest and be de-stressed. Be still for the power of the Lord is moving in this place. He comes to heal and strengthen and minister his grace. No work too hard for him. In faith believe in him. Be still for the power of the Lord is moving in this place. I want to say to us, uh, and I need to say it to myself, I get very stressed about all sorts of things. Filled afresh, may the emptiness of my jar be filled with the wine of God's presence. Because we, you, you may say, well, how do we, um, in our personal lives, we just long for that filling which, uh, which God can bring. Because society cannot be solved just like that, nor can the church. It is only solved by individual people being filled with the fullness of God, going out into the world to bring the good news. 
How do we do this? There are three phrases, as I conclude, uh, in, the, in, in this uh, little story. First of all, Jesus says, uh, Mary says to Jesus, they have no wine. So simple. He can go into all the details. Simple honesty. The jars are empty. And if you want to go into 2019 stronger than you were in 2018 and more vibrant or more sparkly, begin with honesty. Tell Jesus that you're empty. You may, you may feel that way, but you're not telling anyone else, and why should you? But tell Jesus. And then secondly, this strange thing, woman, this is no business of ours. The time has not come. And then the time does come. There's a complex theological stuff behind that. But, but the moment comes when Jesus uh, moves and the water is turned into wine. So alongside honesty, there needs to be openness just to wait to be filled. This is back to what Phil was saying last Sunday uh, about the discipline of shaping our lives that they may be filled with God. So honesty and openness and then obedience. The final word is um, Mary says to the servants, whatever Jesus tells you to do, do it. Just so simple. Sue and I have been married for 42 odd years. No, not 42 odd years. 42 (laughs) years. They've been wonderful. They've been wonderful. And from time to time she will say to me, "Um, you know, this marriage thing is not very complicated. If you'll just learn to do what I tell you to do, (laughs) life will be so simple and much easier. Phil, I want you to know that Anna is so like her mother. And we must stick together. So there's, there's, there's honesty, there's openness, and then there's obedience. Lord, will you come and fill me with your... May, may my, my battered old life, in my case, I'm, I'm, I'm getting old and, and all sorts of things are going wrong, but may this broken jar be filled afresh with the wine of your presence that I may sparkle like wine... And wine is there to be drunk. Okay? Okay, you have to lay it up and all this sort of stuff and make it mature. But it's there to be drunk. And the wine of the gospel is there to fill you and then to pour out from you into a broken society and into a bruised church. May God. Amen.